My message this morning is called, How Precious is Jesus to You? Okay. And I'm going to tie that original Matthew 22 scripture into it. So let's look at the main scripture for this morning. It comes from Matthew 13. Jesus in uh, Matthew 13 gives a whole lot of analogies of what the kingdom of heaven is like. And in this particular one, he says this. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. When a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy went and sold all he had and bought that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant looking for fine pearls. Okay, I'll read the rest. When he found one of great value, he went away, sold everything he had, and bought it. But let's stick with with that, because I want to use the analogy of the treasure in the field. Now for us, this, and, and the kingdom of heaven is actually Jesus. Jesus is the treasure that's in the field. So we encounter this guy, and we would ask, like, how did this guy find a treasure in the field? But in those days, it wasn't actually that uncommon, because what they didn't have was banks. So if, there was, uh, if men had to go to war or there was raiders or whatever, the safest place to put your wealth was in the ground, unless it was like you had sheep and cattle. But if you had gold and silver, you would bury it underground. And then when you came back from war, you would go and dig up your treasure and make sure that it still was there. But many people wouldn't come back from war. They'd be raiders and they'd be killed. And so potentially what happens in this, and this is just uh, also the segues, there was probably a laborer working in the field. And as he uncovered the, the treasure in the field, he finds it. Now by their law, the treasure was owned by the person who owned the field. If he unearthed it and brought it out, it would have belonged to the person who owned the land. So he rehides it, and then he knows that there's treasure in this field, and he knows that there's value in this treasure. And so what he does is he sells everything, and he buys the field, and then he becomes the legitimate owner of the treasure. So I'm not wanting to look at the law around it, but what I want you to see is that this man finds something of ridiculous value. Far more value than what the field was worth. Because he could afford the field, but he couldn't afford the treasure. So he made, he made a calculation in his mind of that is worth far more than what I currently have in my hand. So you and I know we, we are constantly weighing up the value of things in our lives, constantly. If you have a hundred rand in your hand, you'll walk into a shop, be it Woolworths, Checkers, ShopRite, or Spa, and you're constantly looking for a good deal or something that's on discount, or you're kind of going like, tomatoes are 80 rand today. Yes, it's not worth it. I'm not going to spend it, but like Lindt chocolate is on special for like 10 bucks, you know, so I'm going to buy 10 bars of Lindt chocolate. And so, so you and I have become accustomed to a thing. What, what holds value? We can't, like when, when value, before there was money, if you were, let's say, um, you, you grew grain and this guy had wood or pine trees and you wanted to build your house. You couldn't build your house out of grain, could you? No. So what you would do is you would go to the guy with the pine and you would say, let's make a trade. 
Let's trade across. You can eat my grain and I will build my house. Okay. So there needed to be a need or something of value. If you had built your house, okay, and you wanted meat for your poiki, you would no longer trade with the guy with the pine. You would all of a sudden trade with the guy with the sheep. And so later on, we, re- we developed uh, financial systems. And what is the value of a piece of paper with 100 rand on it? What's 100 rand? But what's the intrinsic value or what's the value of that piece of paper? Nothing. But there's val- the value behind it is that you can use that 100 rand to buy your Skittles, to buy your pet food. Or, so there's value in it. So you and I have learned to exchange and to trade value all the time. So when we read this, it's not like we don't understand it. It's just that sometimes we don't really realize the values of the things. So let's say, for instance, for how many of you is 100,000 rand a lot of money? Okay. Okay, for how many of you is a house right at the top of, of Nettleton Road valuable? So if I offered you the house at the top of Nettleton for 100,000, would you make the change or would you think about it? Because 100,000 rand has a great value. What about the house at the top of Nettleton? Okay, in top of Camps Bay, 100 million rand homes. Okay. You wouldn't even think about it. The thing that had value to you, you would just go, thank you. And you would just throw it on the doorstep, wipe your feet on it, and go into your new house and sleep on your Sealy Posturepedic, you know? Because you would be trading something that you believed had value until you saw something of way greater value. It wouldn't even become a question. So you and I, we do trades all the time. We weigh up values all the time. The other thing that we do a lot of trade with, and I had a personal training client, and she was a very wealthy woman, very wealthy. And we all have different value systems. She owned a wine farm in Stellenbosch. She was exceptionally wealthy, but she drove an old Audi with 240,000 kilometers on the clock. And I was like, now I like cars. So I was like, why don't you buy yourself a nice car? She's like, it doesn't have value to me. And she said to me this, she said, every rand that you spend is the rand that you can't spend again elsewhere. So if I spend a rand over here, I don't have that same rand to spend over here. So I need to decide, where am I spending my value? Where am I spending my rand? Now, you and I are making up other value changes all the time. And I want to look at the most valuable things that you actually have. So we've talked about money. I also just want to say this quickly, you know, when you were in school, I can remember trading cards, and we had like X-Men cards, and you had the normal cards, and you had the special cards, and then the guy had the special card, and he's like, I want three normal cards plus that one for my special card, and you're kind of like, you're weighing it up. Or when you were at school, and you were like, um, you play marbles, and it was like, remember the ollie, ollie up for an ollie, and then used to, they go for a pearly, for an ollie, you can only throw once at a pearly, and you've got to stand from this distance, you kind of had to go, is it worth me risking this ollie for that pearly? And uh, so anyways, you'd go home, and eventually you'd have this mass of like, of marbles, you know, and on the playground, you were rich, you know? But if you took your marbles into Woolworths and you're like, I'd like a loaf of bread, please. They're like, what is this? You know, marbles no longer hold value in the real world financial system. Okay. You have to start going out and making money because people want 
rand dollar, you know, not marbles. You can't exchange it. So money is valuable. The other thing that's incredibly valuable, which there's actually a lesser discrepancy, if I compare myself to um, Elon Musk, there's a far greater discrepancy in our wealth when I compare myself to Elon Musk in terms of time. Because we're all kind of given relative time. Even if you die on day one and someone dies 80 years later, the discrepancy is still totally different to my wealth versus Elon Musk's wealth. Time is incredibly valuable. And you and I are constantly trading and making these decisions of time. Do you know, you trade time for money. Why do you go to work? What are you getting paid for? But at some point in time, you have to look at it and you have to go, it's no longer worth it. I have food on the table and, okay, I can, I can work 12 hours a day. Okay, there's a cost to work in those extra four hours. What's the cost? To your family. You're giving up family time for work time. Maybe it's church time. You're making a trade. Even when you go to work, let me say this, you're trading something. You're trading time at gym. You're trading time with your family. You might even be trading time with church people or in ministry. But we have to work. So we're constantly making these valuations of, I want to live a healthy life with things that matter. For you, you might be able to get by on four hours of work in a week. Someone else might not. They might need to work, sorry, in a day. Someone else might need to work eight hours to put food on the table. But in some point in time, you're sacrificing somewhere else. When I, I, I sacrifice um, on a Sunday morning, what are you sacrificing to be here right now? Maybe there's a rugby game on TV. Sleep. Sleep. How many of you, when you wake up early in the morning and you've had a seven-hour sleep and you sacrifice the eighth, eighth hour to have a one-hour quiet time with the Lord? You are sacrificing and trading value of sleep, which is valuable, for something else. Everything has value, and we're constantly trading things backwards and forwards. The problem is that with, with time, a lot of, a lot of it, uh, where our time goes and our finances go, our emotions also go. In Matthew 6.21, it says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So you know, if you've invested an incredible amount of time into your workplace, it's very difficult to let go. It's like somehow your heart is there. Or you invest time into your children, your heart is there. You invest in finances into your children, your heart goes there. If your heart is not in church, and you find it hard to come here, let me tell you, you're not investing here. You're not bringing your time or your finances into the storehouse. And so it's very easy to not make the trade and wake up and come to church in the morning because you don't find value. Why? Because you haven't invested. And you can invest in lots of things. How many of you have ever become, I became attached to a Clash of Clans account. And I had a girlfriend for four years and I can remember breaking up with her in this heartache and this, it felt like a divorce many years ago. And then Louis challenged me on Clash of Clans and I gave up Clash of Clans. And do you know, I experienced the exact same breakup. I said to Louis afterwards, I said, I feel like I just had a really bad breakup. Why? I'd invested so much time. My heart had moved in that direction. Some your emotions and your heart will follow where you spend time. How many of you have 
pumping Instagram accounts? Facebook pages. How many of you spend a lot of time on Facebook? Let me tell you, Twitter, those things have become valuable to you. You don't even realize it. But if I said to you now, what is the one thing that you're hoping Jesus never says give up? That is where your heart is. That is the thing that you've given yourself to. It might be work. If, if God said to Marius, give up your legal practice, do you know how difficult it would be with him? It's my whole life. I've built it up. It's valuable to me. And in that moment, Marius would need to make a decision. He need to go, what's the value of my business? And what's the valuable value of what God's calling me to? However, let me just put this as a disclaimer. When he says sell everything, God is not asking Morris right now to give up his business. The kingdom and people and Jesus are far more valuable, but God has not asked him to do that. So it's pointless giving all your stuff away outside of obedience to God. It's in obedience to God. But when he says it, and God will often pry the things out of your hands, he's going, my boy, you're holding so hard to that 100,000, but I have the house in Nettleton. You're like... I can't see the exchange. So sometimes what God is he'll open your fingers painfully. And it hurts. I can remember building my entire identity around being successful. Being the USN model and being on the cover of men's health. And God literally stripped that stuff. He took my fingers because it was my entire value. And he was saying to me, Mark, I have a treasure in a field for you. And I was like, I can't. I just, I can't make the, it's too difficult. So he said, I love you too much to let you have an idol. So he started to pry my fingers away. He let my hair fall out. My eyebrows fall out. He made me unsuccessful at business. I hurt my, my I lost my sponsorship with USN. I hurt my low back. And now finally I've got wrinkles. Game over. Game over. My identity isn't in that stuff anymore. You know, I came back from Brazil with this massive zit on my face. Massive. And like, back in those days, if I, I was like, Where's my wife's base? You know, like, Dale, you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> no, although you don't have pimples, you got a beard. <laughs> but what I realized was, I'm like, I'm like, I don't care anymore. Why? Because God has ripped that, he's like removed the value of my identity out of my hands. But once upon a time, it was so incredibly valuable. But there's still things in my life right now that are valuable. And Jesus, at some point, is going to say, my boy, let it go. Let it go, there's a treasure. And I might just hold on. And I don't, I'm like, every day I pray, Lord, don't let me hold on. Because it hurts. He's got stronger hands than I do. And he'll rip that stuff out. Because it becomes an idol. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. What are you treasuring this morning? Do you know Jesus paid for your heart? So if you give your heart to something else, guess what he's going to do? He's going to work on you and he's going to discipline you and he, because he wants your heart. This is how serious it is with Jesus. And when I was in Brazil, and this is one of the things was, one of the reasons why I went to Brazil is I felt the Lord say, you need to be stretched. You're way too comfortable, way too comfortable. And I knew Brazil would stretch me. And while I was in Brazil, I can remember it was about um, three days in and I was about to go traveling. And I'd... Um, 
I was just having time with the Lord. I was actually in the gym, and he was ministering to me. And then um, I, I, started, I, I started to feel like the cost. There's a cost involved. And I started to feel the cost. And I also, the, the Lord showed me, your, your kids are paying a price. And so I sent my wife a video, and I can hardly talk. I'm tearing up, and I'm saying, thank you, girls, for allowing me to come. Because this is costing you something, not just me. And I miss you. But it's Jesus is worth it. And the video ends. Because I couldn't, at that point, I just couldn't talk. This is what it says in Matthew 10, verse 37. It says this. Anyone, you don't have to put it up. Okay, you did put it up. (laughs) Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. (laughs) Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. It's so difficult because we love them. It's flesh of my flesh and blood of my blood. I give my time and my emotions and my sleepless nights and my finances into my kids. And then Jesus says this, if you love those little rats more than me, you're not even worthy of me. That's a proper challenge. And I think for some parents here, And Jesus is not saying sacrifice your kids. He's not saying they have no value. What he's saying is they have incredible value. But their value in comparison to the kingdom and to Jesus is nothing. So take care of them and steward them. But never let them hold a value greater than Jesus. They will become the idol in your life. And for some of us, it's a reality. Your work, your work can become an idol. You place it above Jesus. I'm tired. I'm so, I'm so tired from work. But the same guy who's saying he's tired or girl who's saying they're tired is going out uh, to the climbing gym till 11 o'clock at night and not waking up on a Sunday morning to be at church. Or, or they're so busy serving at church that they're like, I've done my duty and I'm tired. I'm not going to have a quiet time with Jesus. Well, ministry's not Jesus. It's a part of being in the kingdom, but it's not him. It's not the treasure. He is the treasure. So how do we get this treasure? How are we willing to... If I said to you, you have you seen those game shows, Money or the Box? And it's so difficult because it's like, I know I can bank the thousand rand, but the box. And you don't know what's in the box because sometimes you'll open it and there's like a dead cockroach, you know? But maybe there's like a thousand diamond rings and you're like, and you're struggling because you don't know what's in the box. But the moment you open the box and you see the thousand diamond rings, like the house in Nettleton, you kind of just push the money aside and you pick up the box. It is so easy to trade something of value, these things are valuable, for something of infinitely more valuable. It's like Jesus would come to me, and I'm going to use the illustration of a Bitcoin, is if he said to me, my boy, I know you love your marbles and they're awesome. I'll trade you one Bitcoin per marble. Now, as a kid, I might not even see the value of a Bitcoin. But someone else would come to me and you go, are you mad? Like a Bitcoin, what's it worth now? Oops, there goes 100 marbles. I have 100 Bitcoins. But as a kid, I might still want to hold on to that stuff because I'm like, marbles, you know, these things are valuable. So how do we make that exchange? We need to open the box and see the diamond rings. 
The only way we can make the exchange that Jesus is asking for is that we go and we find the treasure in the field. Which means, like the pearl, the merchant, pearl of merchant, he was looking for a pearl of great value. But this laborer literally stumbled over this treasure. And many of us stumbled over the kingdom. But sometimes we forget the value. Like we put the box back in the field and we kind of start paying off the field and we start buying it. And then halfway we're like, oh, this money feels so good in my hands. I could spend it on that thing over there. And we go dig up that treasure again and see it. When we see Jesus and what he has for us, whatever we're holding on to, you'll literally just walk away from it. You will never turn back to that stuff. But the moment you take your eyes off him, there's so much attractiveness in this world. There really is. The stuff has value, but it has zero value comparison. But so get your eyes off the world. Shift your eyes back to Jesus. So let's just look at two sets of people who responded to Jesus. The first is in Mark 1. This is before Jesus was even elevated. Like the the Jews are waiting for their Savior, but they didn't even know. They just knew Jesus was a great teacher. In fact, when he calls them, I don't even think he'd done a miracle because that happened at um, the wedding in Cana, and he took his disciples with him. So when Jesus says to his disciples in Mark 1, I'm not even going to read it, come follow me, they didn't even know he was the Messiah. They just saw something of greater value than what they had. And they gave up a lot. Said, come follow me. They leave the servants. They leave their father in the boat. They saw something of value. And it wasn't even the full revelation that we have now. And they leave everything. And they say, I don't need a fishing business. Jesus said, I'll make you fishers of men. They don't even know what that means. But they see something on his life. So they leave everything. They leave father and mother. I was reminded this morning as I was just going over my notes of this scripture. I screenshotted it. In Luke 14, it says, A certain man was preparing a great banquet. Now that great banquet is reference to the banquet we'll have in eternity one day. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just bought five yoke of oxen. I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant to go out quickly into the streets and the alleys and call others. Wow. The disciples leave their father in the boat. The other one says, I just bought a field. I just want to see it. I just, I just bought a Porsche. I want to test it out. Or um, I just got married. This relationship, I mean, uh, and very often there's like, we have lots of excuses. And Jesus is saying, if you love your father or mother or your children more than me, you're not worthy of me. It's a very, it's, it's, when we actually take scripture at face value, it's very sobering. So I want to look at one more person, and this is Paul. And this comes from Philippians. Now, Paul had gone from a place of Pharisee, very high position, probably had money. He was the one persecuting, tons of power. Paul, up until this point in time, had lived a life that was blameless to the law. Can you imagine investing all your time to blamelessly follow something, and somebody comes to you and they say, 
it's wrong. Wow, that's hard. Because you've placed your entire identity in the law. Being a Pharisee of Pharisees. But he gets knocked off his horse. In fact, we don't know that, but it says he fell down on the road to Damascus. And this is what he says later, thinking back. He says um, in Philippians 3 verse 4, that I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee. As for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And when he says that, he's saying, I was trying to be made right with God through the law, but I saw Jesus, and now I see that that stuff is rubbish. I'm following Jesus. He says, for the sake I've lost all things. Um, I consider them garbage. Garbage. So when you see Jesus, it's like that thousand rand in your hand turns to manure. It's like you see it in a different way. It's like that thing doesn't have value at all. In fact, it doesn't even hold weight and value. I literally, I'm holding garbage. Why am I doing that? And you throw it away. And then he says, for all things, in, in fact, in comparison to all things, I count everything as waste in comparison to knowing the Lord. One encounter with Jesus. So what does this mean for us? Well, you and I have encountered the Lord. We have. You and I have, at some point in time, somebody shared the gospel and said, you know what? You are broken and wretched and pitiful, which was where we were. It was where each of us were. And they say, you, you hear the truth that there's an exchange that can take place because of the death that Jesus died for you. And you can get born again. So you leave, you leave all what your destiny was and you step into a new destiny and that destiny is a son of God, son of God, a co-heir with Jesus. That means that everything that's God's is going to come to you one day. And you look at the cross and you go, why would I hold on to my life? But then so often what happens is we get into life and we take our eyes off the cross and all of a sudden the stuff starts to starts to become attractive again. That's what happened to me. I'm not even preaching to you now. Matthew 22. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and with all your mind. I'm not doing that. And I realize that when I see Jesus and I'm chasing him, I do do it. But it's when I take my eyes off him, I really struggle to love the Lord with all my heart. You know, many of us, the world is looking for peace. You'll never have peace in the world. Romans 5 verse 1 says, Since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God. He gives peace. On that side you have unrest. On that side you have peace. You have no value. You were perishing. You're actually a waste of God's original design. 1 Peter 1 verse 18 says, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you, but with precious blood of Christ. 
You go from being worth nothing to being worth everything to God because his blood covers you. These are the trades that happen when we start to pursue the treasure. Well, this is what's in the treasure. You know, we all have a different price, and I'm, I'm going to land very soon. We all have a different price that we to pay. When Jesus was taken out into the wilderness and he was tempted, um, the devil knew what Jesus' price was. What was his price? Come, Jesus. Come up here. You see the kingdoms of the world? I'll give them all to you. Every single one. And Jesus said, love the Lord your God. You and I have a different price. Our price is way lower than Jesus' price. He turned down all the kingdoms of the world because his kingdom wasn't from here. He knew where the treasure was. He was buying the field. So maybe, what is your price? At the moment, the devil has, he's, he's much cleverer than you and me. He's had thousands of years to study mankind. We think we're clever, that we can just protect. We can just have a little bit of yeast. We can just let a little door open. And through that door, he goes, I've got your heart. I know what your price is. Your price might be power. Power, you know. (laughs) He'll give it to you. (laughs) He'll give it to you because that's your price. But Jesus is saying you have infinite value, and all the devil has to offer you is a little bit of power. Maybe it's money. I'll give you I'll give you the money. I'll give you the money. Just leave the kingdom. Just come after the money. Maybe it's your work. Don't work eight hours because eight hours is enough. Go for the ten. Get ahead in life. Build up financial security. All of a sudden, you, stop, you start missing church. You're tired. You're moody. You're making a trade. We're always making trades. What's your price? Maybe... Maybe it's a relationship. Maybe you're so desperate for a relationship because you're so lonely and all the devil has to do is go, here is an amazing looking gargoyle. Their hearts are good, but they don't serve the Lord. And you step in, you chase after that thing and the treasure is sitting back there. The devil will give you whatever it's going to take to derail you and shift your eyes off Jesus. So I want to finish with this scripture. It's from Luke 14, verse 25. It says, Large crowds were traveling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate, now we've read hate was a relative term. He's basically saying, Don't love your father and mother more than me. Okay, it's relative. Don't, we're not called to hate our father and mother. His wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes. Even your own life. You're, called, you're not called to hate your life. Don't take your life. But in comparison to the love you have for Jesus, the love you have for your life should look like hate. He cannot be my disciple. So Jesus is basically saying, you need to step into everything. You need to be willing to give up everything or you can't be my disciple. Disciple is synonymous for Christian or saved. Because if you're not following him, which is where the Holy Spirit will take you, you're not a child of God. Because the Bible says those who are led by the Spirit are the children of God. So there's a massive cost to following Jesus. Massive cost. 
And if anyone doesn't carry his own cross and follow me, he cannot be my disciple. It goes on to say this. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. I want to tell you this, this morning, for those of you who have made a commitment to Jesus and those of you who have never made a commitment to Jesus, following Jesus will cost you everything. But when you see the treasure, you will see that everything is a load of rubbish and you'll run after the treasure. But there are many of us who've made commitments and we've taken our eyes off the treasure and we've, we've lost the beholding of Jesus and who he really has and what he has for us and what he has in store for us in eternity. And so we've become so consumed with this stuff. And so we become the seed that never produces fruit. And we never move into the fullness of what God has for us. We're not called to love our lives. We're called to lay down our lives and buy the field. That's what a true Christian is. That's what a Christian does. And let, once again, I'm going back to the beginning. It doesn't look the same for you and for me. You might be a baby Christian. God's gracious with you. He'll say, my boy, let go of that thing. And he'll make you let go of the marble. And when you mature a little bit, he'll say, my boy, let go of the hundred bucks. And when you mature a lot more, he'll say, let go of the pornography and the 3,000 rand and the Ferrari. He'll move you forward in terms of what? Because if he told us the way that we were going to truly die from the beginning, I think none of us would do it. But in each of our lives, he's saying, are you still pursuing the treasure? Are you still seeing the value in the treasure? Because then we'll pursue it. Jim Elliot said, He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. So here's my questions to us. What does loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength look like for you? Not for the person sitting next to you, for you. It's different for me. Do you see the value in the treasure? Or have you taken your eyes off Jesus? And the third thing is, are you giving up your life daily, picking up your cross to follow him and to get the treasure in the field? Quite a sobering message, hey? Told you there's a bit of personal trainer still in me. But I'm speaking to myself. And I'm landing there. I'm done. But Jesus wants everything. He says, sell Everything. So even now, can we just close our eyes? And I want you to ask yourself one question. Because very often what happens is there's 10 things in our lives that need to get fixed. But Jesus will highlight one. He'll just highlight one. Because he doesn't want to break us. He's not a taskmaster. He's a good father. He leads us into the stuff. He doesn't whip and drive us into it. So if I said this to you, and this is, you've got to be honest with yourself. I'm, you're not going to share it with anyone except for the Lord. And the Lord knows. If there was one thing in your life that you were scared for God to say, give it up, what would it be? What would it be? I'm not telling you to give it up. I'm asking you, what would you be scared to give up? Yeah. 
I believe then that God wants to just bring that thing into the correct value position this morning. He's not asking you to give it up. He might. And he might be. I'm not telling you to give it up. But he just wants you to bring it into correct value. Are your kids being an idol? Lord, I could never. Like if you took my kids, I wouldn't be able to serve you. Bring that thing into the correct value position. Make the treasure huge. And whatever the thing is that you're scared of, that's the thing that you don't want him to pry out of your hands. You want to actually lay it at his feet and say, Lord, it's yours. So I don't think Mark's, I think he's already said what I wanted to say in the last part of his sentence, but it's not, it's not always things that, that God wants us to completely give up and give away, like say, issue with games or whatever. But one of the words that was shared now as well is, I was thinking of the scripture that says, whoever loves the world, the, father is, the love of the Father is not in him. And, and the thing is, we fall in love with the things of this world. And I think when we see our priorities going out of, out of order, when we see that there are things that are consuming more of our time and our attention and our heart and our desires, anything that trumps the kingdom, the, this world is temporary. We're going to spend an eternity with God. So, so sometimes the Lord will show you, and that's for all of us, this particular thing or that particular thing or your work or your kids have become such a priority that your heart's grown a little bit cold towards me because that's got a higher priority in your life than me and my kingdom and my people. And as Mark prays for us, we are all guilty of that. But God is merciful, but he wants us to have our priorities straight so that he can bless us and so that one day when this very short life is over and we stand before him, he can say, well done, my good and faithful servant. I was always priority. Because God loves my kids more than I do. He wants me to serve my boss like I serve him more than I do. Because that way he gets the glory. So if you put our priorities in order, he will look after the things that you had a heart for better than you ever can. Remember that as you let things go, he always places something back in your hand. And very often it's his own hand. <laughs> very often it's his own hand. You give up an illegitimate relationship and someday he introduces you to your actual wife. You know? And just give up the things that he asks you to give up. Thanks, Morris. That was so helpful. Can we stand? Can we stand? And this is... I'm not going to ask anyone to put up their hands. Um... But if you feel to share it with someone, I would ask you to share it with someone because a lot of the times bringing something into the light or confessing it, allow someone to hold you accountable and there is, like, there is a releasing of it when you actually bring it out. And, and like I said, I'm dealing with this stuff. Don't love the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind and strength. He's challenging me. He's constantly cutting. But I want, I want the treasure. I really do. And he knows I do. And so I just want to be soft putty in his hands. So let's pray. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, the first thing I want to ask, Lord, is that we see you again.
Father, I pray for every single person in this congregation, every person here this morning, that they would encounter you. The disciples saw something. Saul saw something who became Paul. When they saw you, when they encountered you, when they knew you, when they, there was just no question. I'm giving up whatever it takes because I want Jesus. But Jesus, we need to see you. I thank you for this time this morning. But Jesus, this week, I pray for encounter that would become those who are hungry to encounter you. That we wouldn't get so busy with things that are valuable but hold zero value in comparison to you that we forget to even seek you. Let us be a people who seeks Jesus, who find his face. And then, Lord, as you challenge our hearts, as you bring up stuff, as Holy Spirit, you lead us and you encourage us, I pray, Lord, that we would just be so quick to let go of the things that you're saying. It's just not that important, my boy or my girl. It's just not that important. And we would just let go. Because we trust you. You're a good dad. You're a good father. And you wouldn't lead us into a place that doesn't have an inheritance. You wouldn't give us a scorpion when we ask for bread. You're good. And so, Lord, lead us in this. Let us see your face and let us hear your voice. In Jesus' name, amen.